Um, I got to walk to church today. Nice. I know, it sounds like a huge commitment to you, except that I live .001 miles away. But growing up in Utah, how many of you grew up in Utah? Okay, growing up in Utah, I was always jealous of my neighbors because they always got to walk to church. But I had to drive to the other side of town. So even though this might not last forever, we might outgrow this place and have to move the church. But right now, I'm walking to church. And I'm going to soak it up. And I love it. Um, it's, it's 4th of July week. I appreciate you being here. This is one of those weekends a lot of us like to go camping and do different stuff. So I appreciate you giving time um, for Jesus and remember what we really celebrate in life, not just once a year, but every single week, every day, every moment. And uh, we're continuing a series right now called Values to Live By. And um, as we jump in, we've been going through some of the core values as a church. Now, you've heard me say this a lot. This is my big repetition. We're going over stuff right now that we went over eight years ago, but we haven't really gone over as a church since then because uh, we kind of feed in our mission and values into what we teach. But since we planted a new campus, we've wanted to go through the, the core values and the mission of us as a church. So we finished our mission, which was we called Running the Race, where we explained to you why we do what we do, and now we're talking about our core values. And our core values, that's a term, that's a tired term because every organization has core values, but it doesn't mean they actually value them. I think there's a website you can go to, www.writemycorevalues.com, and it'll just tell you like some things that people like to read, you know, integrity, and you just take a bunch of them, and you're like, these are our core values. We're going to put them on a piece of paper, and we'll, we'll give them to the board, but we don't, they don't mean anything. But we, we, we believe in our core values. They're, they're the pillars of who we are as a church. And when I say core value, I mean these are the things that we believe are the most valuable to us. There's gold in them hills. We're going to dig for it. And we believe that uh, we need to be uh, investing our lives into some of these values. So we went over family, and then we went over love, and this week we're going over missions. And before we jump into missions, um, there's certain people in life who are, I like to use the word, unstoppable in certain elements. Um, because Jesus gave us an impossible mission, and there's certain people in their field, they have proven to themselves, they've proven to be unstoppable. Now, I'm not a huge sports guy. Go sports ball. But, so I looked at some unstoppable people in other areas. It's easy to measure an athlete, but I want to show you a couple people that are unstoppable. I don't listen to Taylor Swift personally, but I know Taylor Swift because you have to know who Taylor Swift is or you don't have a pulse. Um, Taylor Swift is, is, in my mind, in her profession, she's unstoppable. Um, she, last year, she released a single before her album came out, and that single went to number one immediately. And it stayed on number one until she released another single, and then that one knocked herself out of number one and became number one. And then when she released her album, it immediately went to number one. Now, we listen to like Spotify and Amazon Prime. We don't buy a whole lot of albums anymore, and in spite of that, she still sold over four, like 40 million albums in an albumless world. That's a word, albumless. That's unstoppable. When it comes to her field, nobody can touch her. If she, if she, when she goes on tour, her tickets sell out immediately. Um, you have to win a contest or spend, stay up all night waiting to buy a ticket online if you want to go see Taylor Swift. They sell out immediately. Stadiums. In her field, she's unstoppable. The next one is Tom Hanks. To me, I, I, I actually looked this up, just so you know, I research sometimes, and uh, Tom Hanks is the most successful actor right now who's ever lived. 
And what they do is they compile the box office of all their films. And right now, Tom Hanks, his box office is worth $4.26 billion. So all the films he's made come together to make $4.6 billion. And before Tom Hanks will even look at a contract or his agent, um, he, he, he is worth $100 million per film. $100 million for, per film. So before his agent will look at a contract, they have to know right away if he accepts this contract, he is worth, before negotiation, $100 million. Now that's worth, that's more than me. <laughs> I look at contracts way less than that. $100 million. When it comes to acting, he's unstoppable. I mean, you just, you just can't touch him. He is an expert in his field. And maybe not in entertainment, but this next one is a brand. Some of you will love, some of you will hate. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this brand. It's called Apple. They've been making a little bit of a dent in our culture. Well, Apple, when, even when Steve Jobs died four years ago, everybody said, well, Steve Jobs, was the, he was the genius behind Apple. And Apple's now just going to go downhill, and somebody else is going to take its place. And Apple has proven, since Steve Jobs died, that they're still in the game big time. Apple's worth, hold on, I wrote it down, $17 billion in assets. They have $17 billion in the bank right now. That's more than some countries. Apple is unstoppable in the field that they're in. So when somebody says, I want to become the biggest enter- or electronic gaming entertainment company in the world, the one they're aiming at is Apple. If you want to be the best, you've got to knock Apple out. If you want to be the best actor in the world, the one who you want to knock out is you want to knock out Tom Hanks. If you beat Tom Hanks, you have done the impossible. If you want to become one of the greatest entertainers, music-wise, right now it's Taylor Swift. She still has, she has a lot of years ahead of her, and she's already set the bar really high. See, if you could beat out Taylor Swift, you've done the impossible. See, these, these are high, influential people that are changing the world around them in their specific areas. And today we're talking about the value of mission. And, and I want to read you a passage that you know. It's from Matthew chapter 28. This is the last thing Jesus said before he went up to heaven. He said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the end of the age. See, this mission that Jesus gave his followers was a by all measurable accounts, an impossible mission. Most of Jesus' disciples are not educated, but they're fishermen. And most of them have never been outside of 20 to 25 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. And he just said, what I want you to do now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. If you're the CEO and you say, hey, now what I want you to do is we had a good quarter, now I want you to take over the world. Okay, quarter three, we're going to take over the world. You're going to be fired as a CEO. The board's not going to handle that very well. Jesus gave them an impossible mission. And when he gave it to them, in their eyes, it was an impossible mission. How are we, 11 guys, Judas is out, Judas Iscariot's out, how is 11 guys going to reach the entire world? Well, what I want to do is I want to tell you a little story out of the book of Acts. I'm going to have to paraphrase a whole lot of stuff, but I want to tell you a story about a guy named uh, Gamaliel who has this much he has a part in the Bible about this big. Not a huge part. Most people have never even heard of him. But he had some incredible wisdom regarding the, the mission of the church. And so but before, I have to kind of back up a little bit. So I'm going to tell you a story, okay? I'm going to go fast. So if you miss something, 
you have to go back to Acts and read it. Okay? So Jesus tells his disciples he's going to die, and then he's going to be resurrected. They say, no, that's not going to happen. He tells them again, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, and, and, and they, they're like, we don't believe you. Well, then this thing happens where Jesus dies, and then he's resurrected. And 500 people get to see the resurrected Christ. And then his disciples, he says, why don't you wait for the Holy Spirit? He's going to come. So the Holy Spirit comes. They speak in other languages. And then they suddenly have all this boldness. And they start spreading this message that Jesus told them to spread. Go into all the world and make disciples. So they start spreading this message. And ultimately the message they're spreading is, you, you killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. You need to say you're sorry. That's pretty much the message. Uh, that's Andy Stanley's summation of it. But that's the, the disciples. That's their, their, their sermon. Here's the thing, guys. You killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. You need to say you're sorry and believe. And so they're now telling all these people this message. Well, this message is getting them arrested. It's getting them um, persecuted. It's making them run. And through all all this time, all the the Pharisees and the chief priests are watching these disciples with boldness. And they say, this boldness doesn't make any sense. Why are they so bold? What what is it that's making them so bold? And and what, what are they trying to accomplish here? Well, enter this guy, Gamaliel. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 5, I don't know if I have that up there. Acts chapter 5, verse 25 through 39. And I want, to, I want to read you the story. So a little preface. So Peter and the disciples are preaching the gospel boldly. It's getting them arrested. They're, getting, they're, getting, they're paying the price for it. So what happens is they're preaching in the temple, in the temple yard. Uh, the high priest arrests them. While they're in jail, an angel releases them from jail, and they magically walk out of jail. And the angel says, don't run. Go back and preach in the same spot you were at before. Well, then the next day, the guards wake or They don't wake up. They were there. But they, they look inside, and the, the disciples are gone, the apostles at this time. They say, where are the apostles? And they say, oh, well, they're preaching. So then we pick up right here. Someone came and said, look. The men who you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Spoiler alert, they are guilty. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, who you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death. Now listen to the story of this guy named Gamaliel. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of of human origin, it will fail. 
But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the mission that you've given the church. I thank you that that mission has, has passed through all the, the trials and persecution and obstacles just like you said it would. I thank you that today we get to talk about being a part of the only mission that's going to stand the test of time. We get to be a part of the only mission that we know is going to outlive everything else on this planet, and that's serving you. So, Lord, we love you, and we just ask that you would open up your word um, to, the, to what we're going to read, open up our hearts to receive it, and we just pray that your Holy Spirit would interpret it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you didn't catch why Gamaliel is not a huge character, let me back up a little bit. So what he says is beautiful. This is incredibly wise. He says, we've seen people like this before. We saw Thetis, and what happened? When he died, the whole movement stopped. And then we had another guy named Judas of Galilee. And when he died, what happened? The movement stopped. We've seen people like this Jesus before. And then he says something really wise. If this is of the strength of men, of human origin, if Jesus really is dead, like we're trying to believe, even though lots of people are saying that they saw him alive, if he really is dead, this is all going to go away. Movements do not last beyond their followers. It doesn't happen. Jesus was not around long enough to create a movement that will go beyond him. He was only around for three years doing ministry, not 100 years. Apple might go on past Steve Jobs for a while because it's been around and it created something huge while it was there. But Jesus only led for three years. And up until his death, he only had 12 followers, 11 followers. Well, now he's got 3,000 people following him, and now something's got to happen. And the wisdom of this guy, he says, but look, if it's of men... It's going to fade out on its own. It's going to dissipate. Why? Because people are smart. If your leader's dead, you're not going to follow him anymore, especially if it brings persecution. But, and this is awesome, but if it's from God, we better be careful. Because then we're not fighting against man. We're actually fighting against God. See, when the disciples, when they engaged Jesus' mission for the world... They didn't know what the church was going to look like in 10 years or 100 years or 1,000 years. They just knew that this guy that they were following kept saying he was going to die. And then he kept saying that he was going to be resurrected. And, and just, I mean, FYI, I don't know. Part of my logic kicks in at this point. If, someone, if one of you told me over and over again that you were going to die right before my eyes, and then three days later you were going to come back to life, and then I would see you ascend to heaven... I'd probably believe everything else you said. Right? That, to me, gives pretty good credibility. If you told me ahead of time that you were going to die and rise from the dead, both right before my eyes, and then I get to see you go to heaven, you now have credibility with me. Your credit score just got really high. Okay? You now have that American Express black card. You can charge whatever you want, and I'm going to let you have it. That's credit. So these guys are walking around and they're going, we don't know what the church is going to look like. All we know is he, you killed him, God raised him, now you need to say you're sorry because this is real. Now see, I love this story of Gamaliel because when Gamaliel said it, it never goes back. The book of Acts never goes back where Gamaliel says, 
Yeah, it's been 15 years, and it's still going on. That was good advice on my part. It never goes back to this character. This is a one-time character in the Bible. But if I could have a conversation with Gamaliel now, this guy who did not want to believe in Jesus Christ, did not want to believe that, that he really did live, well, he knows he lived, but he really did die, and 500 people saw him alive, and he really is God. If I was able to have that conversation with him now, I'd be like, you're a wise dude. You get it. Because guess what? It did live. And even though the disciples couldn't see a year into the future, 10 years into the future, they couldn't see a day into the future, guess what we get to do? We get to look back over 2,000 years at the words of Gamaliel and go, Gamaliel knew what he was talking about. Because this mission that Jesus said, not even the gates of hell can stop, didn't stop. It kept on going. So that today, almost 4 billion people on the planet Earth have heard or worshipped the name of Jesus. Going from 12 people to now, it's hard to find a place on the planet Earth without a Christian church. See, when God says he's going to fulfill his mission, he's going to fulfill his mission. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. And what I want to show you today is God said he's going to do it. We get to look back over history and say, he did it. We get to look back and say, it's happening right now. And he's going to do it with or without us. He's going to spread the gospel in Camas Valley with or without us. But he's inviting us to be a part of his mission. See, those unstoppable people that we looked at on the screen, one day they're going to disappear into history. One day you're going to say apple and they're going to hand you an apple. <laughs> yeah. One day you're going to say iPad and they're going to hand you an iPad to place over your eye. Because these companies, one day, they're going away. And even though they look unstoppable, there's only one thing on this planet that is actually unstoppable. And it's already proven the test of time. And that is the mission of Jesus Christ. Nothing else is going to last. I love reading the story of, of Caesar in the, ba in, the, in the Bible story when Jesus was born. How Caesar Augustus sent out, sent out a census to see how many people were alive or blah, 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 blah. He was the most powerful man on earth. And the only reason that we know his name is because he was a small character in Jesus' story. Let that sink in. He was the most powerful man on the planet earth at that time. And we all know his name, or most of us, because he plays this much of a part in Jesus' story. And we have the option of having our own mission for our lives, our own purpose, our own plans. And it doesn't matter how great they are. It doesn't matter if we win 15 Grammys. It doesn't matter if we have a box office of $42 billion. Those things are still going to disappear in time. Because the only thing that's going to last this time, the, 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 the length of human history is Jesus' church. And we have the opportunity as a church to say, Jesus, you don't need to look anywhere else. We're going to be your mission here. We're going to be on mission for you. See, mission doesn't mean missionary, as in like somebody in a different country. I think we've lost our idea of mission. Mission just means sent one. And we have the opportunity to be sent by God. So what I want to do is I want to show you how we can participate in Jesus' unstoppable mission. How we can participate in Jesus' unstoppable mission. But I can't say this I can't, I can't be more blunt with this. We sometimes pretend that if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. Jesus is going to spread his church. It's going to happen. 
we have the opportunity to either not do it and stay where we're at, or we have the opportunity to be a part of the greatest story, the greatest mission ever. He's going to do it, though. We see this in Scripture with the Apostle Paul. Peter and the other apostles, they were really, really happy to stay in Jerusalem. Now, they were preaching the gospel boldly, but they weren't going to the Gentiles. So God said, I have somebody in mind. You know that guy that oversaw Stephen get killed? How about him? And it's funny because the, the disciple that was there was like, no, not him. Anybody but him. And this guy Saul turned into Paul. And Paul became the greatest missionary. He's the one who said, we're going to take this to the rest of the world. Uh, the best illustration I've ever heard is take a map of the world. And Paul says, I'll tell you what. You guys take this part right here. This is Jerusalem. And then I'll just take this. <laughs> I got this part. And he did it. He did it. My middle name is Paul. I'm named after my, is it grandpa's middle name? It's funny, I don't know that. Yes. <laughs> it has like no significance other than that. But today, in America, a guy named Paul is one of the most popular names ever. Why? Because Paul the Apostle accepted Jesus' mission. That's why we have the name Paul. That's why Peter's a popular name. Who I'm named after? Not important. But it's there. I'm Paul. Okay? Of the Bible. Of the Bible. Or of Grandpa. Nobody knows. It's Grandpa. It is Grandpa? Yeah, it's funny how I should know that. So, so if, if, if we're not going to step into it, God's going to find someone that is. And as a church, I think it's very important that we don't miss the opportunity to be the hands and feet, to be Jesus with skin on in our own community. He's going to spread the gospel here. He's going to convince people to trust in Jesus here. And he's giving us as his church the opportunity to be a part of it, to be that missionary in our own communities. But it's up to us to say if we're going to go or not. And as a church, when we talk about mission, it's so important that we don't forget that God has called us to be that person and we don't wait for someone else to do it. So how do we participate in Jesus' unstoppable mission? <clears throat> I have three very simple words. The first one is go. The go is great because in Greek, the word actually means go. <laughs> yeah. It also means went. It also meant journey. But it meant go. It meant go. Jesus' mission was about moving what he's doing in your life and going forward. And, and I love it. We argue about truth all the time. We argue about what we believe in. Everybody has a truth that they believe in. And I love reading the book of Acts. I was reminded of this reading the book of Acts. They never talked about a truth. They, they talked about something that happened. They didn't say, you need to believe in my truth. They said, this happened. And there's 500 people that saw it too. And it happened. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. Just like he said he would. You need to say you're sorry. It happened. What an awesome invitation that we get to tell the world. But we got to go. Um, I, 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 here's a silly illustration because I love pizza. Imagine if a mogul, we'll say, Taylor Swift said, Mike, I want to know what the best pizza is in the world. And Taylor Swift was like, Mike, I'm going to give you a list of the top-ranking pizza places on the planet. I'm going to pay for all of your travel. I'm going to get you a private jet. I'm going to get you the best hotel room. And I'm going to get you a limo to take you place to place. All I want you to do is go and try out the best pizzas in the world. And a year later, she came back and said, Mike, what would you find? And I said, I gathered 30 people. 
And we, every night, sat and talked about the greatest pizzas in the world. And then, once a week, we got together, and we sang about the best pizzas in the world. And then a guy got up, and he talked to us about the best pizzas in the world. And Taylor Swift, I'll call her Miss Swift. Miss Swift's going to say, but did you go? Did you actually go and try the pizzas? I'm going to go, no, but listen, we have a program coming up this summer. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? Sometimes we forget that part of the mission of the church is we go. And and we're we're a sent people, we're not a stay people. And that doesn't mean that all of us are called to the mission field outside of here, but they are. Acts 1.8 says that we will be your, your, your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the rest of the world. We're not all called to all three. But we are all called. In our mission field, we are called to go where we're at. Some of us are called to leave and go. Some of us are called to send those who leave. And some of us are called to be here, but we need to go. Um, Shane shared with me a quote that I thought was great. It's from a, a, a famous theologian called George Whitfield. He said, it's easy to determine when something is a flame. It ignites other material. Any fire that does not spread will eventually go out. A church without evangelism or a church without going is a contradiction in terms, just like a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. If it's not burning, it's not a fire. Everyone goes. And the first thing we need to remember is he's called us to go. The second thing, if we want to, have, uh, the un- if we want to engage the unstoppable mission of Jesus, is we need to tell. Um, I use this illustration a lot, but I don't care. You're welcome. If you've ever seen, I don't know, when I was in elementary school, we used to watch like old silent movies as like kind of like, like an old Western or an old Charlie Chaplin movie, you know, where it was black and white. There wasn't sound, but there might have been like a nice piano in the back, but it was just silent. And you could tell when something happened because it was, they made it very big when everything happened. You'd be like, whoa, something happened, but there's no words. That's how the movie was created. And there was this phrase going around in Christianity, started by the Francis of Assisi and then totally abused and taken over by people who don't know what they're talking about and spread. And it goes like this. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. But here's the thing. Francis of Assisi was a street box preacher. He used to stand on the corner of the street and tell people, you killed God. (laughs) You killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. Now say you're sorry. He used to stand on a box and yell that at people. And then other people who weren't following Jesus were like, wow, that's cool. And they would do it. But they weren't living. They weren't living a life of faith. And so he was like, stop doing that until your life reflects it. Well, then we kind of, in our Western culture, have taken that phrase and we're like, don't use words, just do nice things all the time. And, and we, kind of, we kind of go, it's kind of like a black and white movie, like an old Western. You can kind of tell what's going on. You know, it's very, you know, wild. You can tell what's going on. You don't need words. But it's not. It's like watching a regular movie without sound. Like when you're at the doctor's office and they've got the movie on and there's tons of stuff going on in the movie, but... <clears throat> And you're sitting there in the doctor's office, and you're looking at that TV in the corner, and you're going, something's happening. No idea what it is, but something. There's drama. I can tell that. There's a little, I, think I can tell there's a little bit of a love story, maybe some like a love triangle. I can tell. There's action. That's not enough to know the plot of the story, though. You have to have words. If that doesn't drive you nuts, it drives me nuts. If you're going to be in a doctor's office, turn off the piano music and put on the TV. Choose one. Just pick one. One of them. But I feel like the, the two together don't match. And we have to tell. We have to use words. People need to know the story of Jesus. And there comes a time where, yes, live a life that mimics Jesus Christ. 
Just like the reason Francis of Assisi made, like, said that saying, had that famous quote, was because people's lives were wicked, but then they would preach about Jesus Christ. And he was saying, just make your lives match following Jesus. We need to do the same thing, but we've got to use words. Folks, we've got to use words. People need to know that they're sinners. People need to know that in the spite of their sin, even though when we were still in our sins, Jesus came and died for our sins. People need to know that. People need to know that we've been called to a ministry of reconciliation and we can have a new relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not going to get that from a silent film. They're going to go, something cool is happening, but they have no idea what it is. At some point, you need to say, hey, all those things you're, you're, you're following aren't going to work. All those things are going to die and leave you high and dry. All of them. The only thing in this world that will satisfy and give you the purpose you were designed for is Jesus Christ. And at some point, we have to tell people that. Part of the mission is to tell. And the last one is bring. I'm going to close with this one. The last one is, I love Psalm 34, 8. It just says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So we're going to him. We're not staying where we're at. And we're using words. We're telling people about Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we're going to bring people to his family. We're going to bring people to Jesus Christ if we need to. You know, we have a church here, and I know I don't want to sound legalistic, but we have a place where someone can come in a a comfortable environment and hear the word of God to worship with his people. And sometimes we need to just say, hey, why don't you come and join us? We need to bring people to Jesus. We need to go. We need to tell them about it, but we also need to bring people to Jesus. You know, here's, here's the blunt fact. Everyone is going to meet Jesus one day. Everyone. We have believed a lie that your truth is good for you and my truth is good for me, but if they don't mix very well, we should probably just leave each other alone. Jesus is the only one who died for his people and then rose again from the dead to prove that he is the only God. He's the only one, and everyone's going to meet him. Everyone's going to meet Jesus one day. And God has given us the distinct opportunity to take Jesus to them first. Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The hard reality of that is not everybody's going to do it when it matters. Some people are going to be forced to their knees and they're going to see way too late that, wow, I should have said sorry. I should have listened to that guy. We're going to find out too late. And we're surrounded. We have a culture. We have a, a circle of influence. Every single one of us. No one in here is without a circle of influence. And get creative. Be innovative in how you take the gospel to people. I'm not talking about just getting a picket sign and walking around canvas. They're not listening. But I'm talking about getting creative. Get innovative. How do you win the heart of your neighbor, of your coworker, of your son, of your, of your postman? How do you win the heart of those around you so that you can tell them about Jesus before they find out about Jesus later? We've been given the awesome mission. And Jesus is going to continue that mission with or without us. But I don't want this church to miss what God's doing. I don't want this church to one day look back and be very thankful that that other church moved into town. Thank God Calvary Chapel moved into town or else we would not have had... Our town's doing much better. Okay? Let's not be that church. Why Why don't we say, Jesus, we're here. Let's do it. I love Kirk over at at the um, Camus Bible Church because that's his mission. I'm here, God. Let's join them. Let's be here. Let's say we're on mission with you. 
You you don't need to look for anybody else. You don't need to look for another person in my family to tell them about Jesus. You don't need to look for another person at my office to tell them about Jesus. You don't need to look for another person at my concrete laying company and tell them about Jesus. (laughs) Totally vague, though. Nobody in specific there. We're here. We're here. Send us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for I thank you for the simple words in the book of Acts telling us the history of your church. And I thank you through just the little wisdom of a, of a, of a man who was largely forgotten in history. Through a little wisdom of him, we get to look back and go, he knew exactly what he was talking about because they were <coughs> God and not man. And Jesus, you promised your apostles that you were going to start a church and not even the gates of hell could stop it. And you have been true to that promise 2,000 years later so that a bunch of Gentiles sitting in a room in Tamas, Utah get to know you. Lord, I just thank you that your church continues and your church moves. Your church changes the culture it's in. Lord, I thank you that your church is powerful. I thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to, to do things that we can't do in our strength. And Lord, I pray that we would be the answer to that mission in our, in our city, in our valley, in our state, and in the world. I pray that we wouldn't wait for someone else to say yes, but we would be the ones that say yes. Lord, I pray you would send us into our community so we can have the same mission that you've given us, the only mission that is going to last past human time. Lord, thank you for inviting us into the greatest mission on earth. We love you, and we just ask this in your name. Amen. So this one might be new to a lot of you, but um, it's really 